contributing the best vibe into the consciousness soup. Five, four, four three, three, two, two one. one. I'm not sure that worked, but <laughs> <laughs> well. <laughs> it's it's at least a starting point. Yeah. Oh, it is so nice to hear you and talk to you, you know. <laughs> I I have listened to you talk for like I don't know, 30 hours. Wow. So you're a real hardcore uh, Two yeah, Big Geeks fan then. Yeah. Uh, I mean, oh my gosh. Uh, it's mostly you. I mean, it's mostly you talking on Two Big Geeks. I mean, not mostly <laughs> you, but it's more you, I think. Yeah, you know, it, it's funny you mention that because my anxiety during the entire time and the message I always send Tom after we record is, gosh, I feel like I talk too much. Ah, <laughs> uh, no, no, it's great. <laughs> yeah, because I think Tom is by nature a little more introverted. And so he, uh, when he had the idea to do a podcast, he was sort of thinking of somebody who wouldn't mind babbling on for a couple hours. So, <laughs> Yeah. Oh, fantastic. So is is your name Looney Leader or Surge or something else? Oh, it's anything. Anything you want, man. <laughs> uh, All right. Excellent. Yeah. Well, you can call me Surge. Uh, the first episode, you know, because I've done the first episode and I said that I was Tim. So if you want, you can continue that tradition. You can you want you can call me Surge. Okay. <laughs> Tim or Surge. Yeah. I, I'll probably stick with Ped. Actually, I was wondering if like is Ped uh, your whole name or no? But but uh -huh. I've just I've just seen on uh, Slack that you have a Peter. It's Peter, not Ped, right? Yeah. So the origin of that. So my name is my actual name is Peter. Uh, and when I went to college, uh, one of my uh, friends I met there uh, started calling me Pedro, which is the Spanish version of Peter, uh. and that became abbreviated to to uh, to Ped, and that that became my my college nickname. Mm -hmm. And I did a little bit of um, uh, radio in college. And so uh, that sort of became my, my radio handle as well. So when we started doing this, just, just for a, a slight bit of anonymity, I, I chose Ped instead of Peter. So, Okay. Actually, yeah. I'm, I've never looked you up. Are you like officially anonymous on that podcast? Like, do, you, do people know your Facebook or your Twitter and stuff like that? So that's a good question. I, I would say we're we're like loosely anonymous. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like I don't really have, um, like my personal Facebook is, is private and I don't really, um, I have like a, a Twitter I use for PED, but, um, yeah, I, I think if you took a couple hours, you could probably <laughs> find references to like, cause I'm on school committee now, like in my hometown, like we talked about, uh, mm -hmm. there's, um, you know, there's public references to my name, but, um, well, I assume you, you, you people don't call you Pat on school committee. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> only only Tom and uh, and my old college friends will will still call me Pat, mm. right? And me. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so you 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 are right now broadcasting from Poland. Oh yeah, yes, I'm in Poland in Warsaw. In Warsaw, and you grew up in Ukraine. Yes, yes, I grew up in Ukraine, and I'm, I am, I actually I'm almost uh, finished studying here. Like um, two weeks ago. Oh wow! So do you have like a graduation ceremony coming up? Uh, I think that'll be in May or June. I don't know. I don't think it's a big deal here. Uh, okay. Graduation ceremony, but uh, I heard that like there's gonna be one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And in U.S., it's a it's a huge like cap and gown ceremony. All your family and friends come and 
I hope now. <laughs> 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 uh, well, because they will have to, they would have to come to another country for this, and I don't think it's a big deal. So I hope they will. Not. Yeah, yeah. So you still have a lot of family back in Ukraine? Yeah, yes, almost everyone. I only have uh, one one relative here. Okay. Wow. So, like, I have, you know, in the grand tradition of ignorant Americans, I know very little about <laughs> Ukraine. Uh, other it. than the um the the russian invasion with the crimea um situation and so just just trying to i just you know trying to read the wikipedia page on the ukraine <laughs> the last couple of days okay um like the first thing that stands out is that wow geopolitically it's right in the middle of a lot of things and that must be kind of a stressful area of the world um, to grow up i would imagine <laughs> well if you, i mean it's also big ukraine so like yes, it's between Russia and uh, European Union, and historically that's been a big problem for Ukraine. Uh, but I mean, it's now a big problem too, as you know. Uh, but uh, it's a big problem really only on the eastern part of Ukraine, hmm. and I am from the western part, so it, it's not that big of a deal. No, oh, I, I mean it's a big deal, but I mean while eastern part is like at war, basically. We are in yeah. the West, quite just normal life, you know. Right. So does does Western Ukraine feel more European than Eastern Ukraine? Oh yeah, it does feel more European, especially especially buildings like architecture is is very similar to Polish and uh, Czech. It's uh, I think it was built like uh, by Austro-Hungarian Empire or something. Okay. But it's it's like it's it's uh, it's quite beautiful and it's it's very very similar to what's in Europe. Yeah, and 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 so you went to school in uh, in Poland for the last couple of years. Is that is that common for people to? Oh, you grew up in Ukraine and you go to school somewhere else. Like like from the American perspective, the idea of like going to a different country for school is is unusual. But I would imagine maybe in Europe that's a little less less little less rare. Mm, yeah, maybe in Europe, but actually in Ukraine it was not as often because uh, actually we didn't have we had to uh, get visa to go to European Union. Oh, okay. Uh, and only since like uh, one or two years ago, it, we, d- we don't have to, we don't have to get a visa. So it's, it's not, uh, it's not that common. I mean, since war, it's more common than, you know, since uh, there's a bigger difference in like economic, economic difference between those two countries uh, that obviously increases the flow of people across the border. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, so how did you find our podcast? <laughs> Tom is is all the time wondering how to how to uh not necessarily market but just make people aware of the podcast. So uh I'm, I'm just curious how living all the way over there you discovered us. Yeah, I I discovered you from uh, Hello Internet subreddit. Cuz you oh, okay. posted, I don't know if you or, or Tom posted, but but like there was one post maybe you had like three episodes and you posted them. Yep, that's right. Um yeah, when we just started out, Tom posted um, that we had just begun our podcast, uh, largely inspired by Hello Internet and, and other such two dudes talking formats. And uh, yeah, that's always been kind of a, a funky thing because I would imagine that a lot of Tims would enjoy what we're talking about, but I, I'm really conscious of being, uh, you know, not using the Hello Internet subreddit to just promote the podcast. Right? <laughs> oh, yeah. That's, <laughs> that, 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 like that would just, you know, not, not be cool. So um <laughs> So we play it pr- pretty... L- that's something that Tom and I have struggled with, you know, the whole mm-hmm. podcast is that 
you, you don't want to be annoyingly marketing, and yet if you don't make yourself discoverable, then no one ever really knows. But well, we're sort of making our way through it. No, but I think you only posted once. Or did you post more on Halloween Red Subreddit or not? I think there may have been one other time, um, but we certainly don't do it often. I think um, occasionally someone will ask, hey, what other podcasts do you listen to? And then we'll, we'll comment on those threads. But, um, uh-huh. but yeah, you, d- you don't want to anger the army of Tim's, that's for sure. Yeah, no, I just I just <laughs> post on that subreddit. <laughs> I, j- I just post every episode on that subreddit. Yeah. I mean, of this, of yeah. two teams talking, I mean. We actually, we tried to create a subreddit for two teams talking, but no one, I mean, there are like nine people there, so. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, just post there. <laughs> right. So did you, um, did you your, yourself create the whole two teams talking podcast? Are you, you're sort of like the technical um, workhorse behind it? Uh, well, I've had an idea because I thought I'm going to have a lot of free time because, well, for one reason or another, I thought it's kind of boring. I, I, I want to do something. I have a lot of free time. And so yeah. I, I've remembered that I had this idea at one point. I remember that people were supporting it, like people were interested in it. So I just basically cold, 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 cold. <laughs> I just messaged on Reddit uh, some people that I've, I thought w- would be like a good... Uh, addition to you know to help me set up this podcast and i also just you know got a website on you know on uh how is it called squarespace <laughs> of course yeah uh, but by the way can you imagine listening to hello internet and then starting a website and having it not be on squarespace <laughs> yes and also i bought a domain on hover so okay I, there you go yeah I you are helping the, out the sponsors yeah uh <laughs> Okay, so yeah, I started and I edit it uh, like half the time and half the time someone else wants to edit it. Nice. So, so people who are in the episode sometimes want to edit it and sometimes uh, they don't want. That's cool. And you listen to a ton of podcasts as well? Yes, actually. So uh, when I started it, it turned out that I don't have a lot of free time. And so if you look at the dates, it's like once a month, basically. It's it's very yeah. like a rare podcast, but... But now I do have lots of free time since I just graduated a couple of weeks ago. So, yeah, I I've listened, I listen now to to many a podcast. So you can put that electrical engineering degree right to work on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, not too much. <laughs> Actually, oh, I, I was cool. I was wondering because for some reason I have that in my head that you have a degree in philosophy or no? Yeah. So I I did my undergrad in philosophy. So I don't know if it's the same in Europe, but um, the U.S. school system, you graduate public school when you're about 18. Yeah. Uh, and then do a four-year degree is the is the undergrad degree. Mm-hmm. And so I studied philosophy for those four years, uh, which was awesome from like a personal centering kind of mode. Uh, but I graduated with a ton of student debt. Mm. <laughs> and so uh, I sort of just bumped around for a couple of years and then had to figure out some way to pay off all of my student loans. And so I, I this was like mid-90s, right before the uh, the first dot-com boom and bust was, was happening. And uh, yeah, I just ro- rolled right into software engineering, like took a programming class, and then I got my master's degree, which was a couple-year degree. So I have a bachelor's in philosophy and a master's degree in computer science. Ah, I, okay. I do software. Software engineering is, is the thing that pays the bills, and philosophy is the thing that's fun to think about. <laughs> Okay, so because I was wondering how how did you get into programming from philosophy? Yeah, so it, it really was kind of the the practical drive that uh, 
So, you know, philosophy was wonderful to study from a, like a personal evolution standpoint. Mm-hmm. You know, it really helped me clarify a lot of things. Um, but th- there's not a lot of call for professional philosophers <laughs> in the world. But tell me, did you really clarify things? I mean, you know, philosophy is like, they're just, you know, asking questions. You know, they're not answering, not really. I mean, yeah. very m- many questions they don't answer. So I would say the act of studying philosophy is what helped me gain clarity. It's not like it's not like I read philosophers and they provided some answer. I said, oh, that's the answer. My drive for studying philosophy, I didn't go to school wanting to study philosophy. I just went to school. Basically, so I don't know if I mentioned this, this moment um, on Two Big Geeks, but um, did I talk about this time when I was 12 years old in a parking lot and I, I coughed? <laughs> no, I don't think so. But but you know, okay. there are like thirty hours of this. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so basically, that was like the seminal moment for me. So I was, I was I have this very vivid memory of when I was about twelve years old, and we were shopping at some mall with my family, and we're getting back into the car in the parking lot, mm-hmm. and uh, I open the door to the car, and I I cough into my hand. It's like a very nondescript, nothing kind of moment. Mm-hmm. And I had this overwhelming sensation of being aware of myself coughing. And mm-hmm. I just, it was kind of like this, all of a sudden, I felt like I was looking at a movie of myself. You know, a very, very disconnected feeling. And uh, and it was like a very, almost like a physically disconnecting kind of experience. And, uh, and it, it had a real profound effect on me. And yeah, to make a long story short, it just all sort of came to head in terms of a desire to, I have to figure out what is going on with myself. And th- th- there's some dimension of experience I'm missing here. Uh, and s- this sort of self-awareness is just really uh, confusing me. <laughs> so I was, as a kid, you know, through my teenage years, I was, I was fairly confused. And so I went to school with zero interest in what do I want to do for a career? Or what are my dreams are? I just had to figure out what the heck was going on with consciousness <laughs> in my mind and all that. So that, that was that was the drive that eventually led me to to philosophy. Hmm. Um, <laughs> and so uh, yeah, so so thinking, reading, and you know, thinking in philosophical terms, it, it's not like it provided me any specific answers, but it it led me to um, to have different experiences where I, I've, I've talked a little bit on the podcast about um, sleep deprivation. I, I felt like it was kind of a, a clarifying experience for me sometimes, which sort of you just keep your mind going for a long enough time, and then eventually your mind can't keep up the, the normal amount of filters that it uses. You know, and so experience just sort of washes over you. I found that a very clarifying experience. And uh, but it's you know, in terms of practic- practicality, you know, this was it was all just sort of in my head. Uh, exploration and then so I graduated it and it was great in terms of feeling like I I had a better handle on things um, but I had many thousands of dollars of, <laughs> of debt when I graduated so I had to find some craft to pay the bills that so that's what eventually led to also here's a question so do you think yeah. you would feel do you think you wouldn't feel more clarified on these questions if you didn't go to college and take philosophy degree so that's a good question I think I don't know if it was college itself, but yeah, I, I think if I had, I think I think what I needed at that stage in my life was some time to 
to think about these things where I didn't have to take care of other things. I mean, the great, so there's, there's a lot of problems, I think, with the U.S. educational system and how it's funded. Um, but one of the advantages of being able to study for four years is that you don't have to have a job. Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah. or, so you, you have this sort of brief window where you can pay attention to other things, which is, I mean, I'm very fortunate that my parents were able to you know, fund that for me and that they encourage that. Um, you know, certainly not everybody in the world and not everyone in the U.S. has that opportunity. Um, but I, th- I think I think what I needed was some some sort of time to work it out. Mm. So I, I don't think it was college necessarily that, that was the requirement. But, you know, like in terms of the things I was trying to figure out about how does my mind work? How does awareness work? How does... What is this thinking process? The other thing, I mean, not to get too fluffy on you, but like the other thing that was sort of driving me was that uh, interspersed within uh, constant experience of sort of confusion would be moments of clarity, you know, experiences where I would feel really connected with either other people or or the world. I remember walking through a strand of trees at like 2 a.m. in the dead of winter, and it was like so peaceful you know and so it wasn't like I came to some technical conclusion but it was it just had a real profound effect on me and I remember I don't know if I talked about this in the podcast but I, I was sort of writing I, I was, I've never been a great writer but it's been good for me to sort of work out my my thoughts I remember at like three in the morning writing out this conclusion of uh all is one all is one all is one and I just had this like it was this experience is this feeling of just connectedness with with everything and it was wonderful and yet it was very ephemeral it was very transitory you know it didn't last long and um and i wanted to recapture that feeling and so you know when i graduated my (laughs) my my goal when i graduated with my philosophy degree even though i was in a ton of debt was i felt like i really needed to find a meditation practice so i sort of concluded that the the thing that was going to help me maintain this experience and deepen this experience of clarity was meditation I felt like I needed to find a meditation practice, and I had I had this like gut instinct it was going to be in India. So what? my my okay. yeah yeah, and just just based <laughs> on some uh, you know different things I had read uh, about uh, you know esoteric literature and such. Yeah, it's fine. So my goal, my gut instinct is oh, it's probably India. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, so I, it was based on. I mean, it didn't come from nowhere. It's not like I just woke up and just, you know the word India was there. It was <laughs> it was based on. Uh, you know where do where does meditation come from? Uh, I read I had read some literature from uh, the Bhagavad Gita era of of India. Um, there's also I don't know if you know in the late 1960s in the U.S. there was the sort of hippie culture generation. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, and um, a lot of the uh, writers and thinkers in that kind of era reference the East. There's always been sort of this West East versus East meets West kind of um, encounter with with the U.S. and, and its its culture, um, and so I had read some things from there that were were referencing things in India. But, but anyway, my my plan when I graduated was to buy a one way ticket to India, and wow. like I was just yeah. So like I got a job just washing dishes at like a breakfast diner. To do and earn I was like, money I, for the ticket. Yeah, yeah. So I was I was doing this, and I was like, okay, I'm going to buy a one way ticket to India, and I am going to find my teacher. Like I, the other thing I had concluded towards the end of my school was I can't be the first person ever to have this sort of confusion and desire to figure things out. Sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but 
What yeah. did your parents think about it? <laughs> so I, I kind of didn't share this plan with them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was, I was avoiding talking to it about them. So as I was, you know, at the, the diner washing dishes, saving up my, my money, I, uh, my plan was to kind of tell them at the last minute, and because I knew that they would be pretty concerned about the, the plan. Um, yeah, pretty yeah, concerned I, I about really... a one-way ticket thing. Yeah. <laughs> exactly but it's, it's, it's like there's you know like especially from the 1960s and uh in the u.s there's this kind of romantic notion of going on the spiritual quest right and uh and sort of it, it's, it's a sort of reaction to the counter to the mainstream religion culture in u.s of you go to church and that's where you get your beliefs and then you're done and you know to say, I'm not trying to say anything negative about religion. That's totally cool if it like works for people, but like it just didn't work for me, right? Mm-hmm. And so there is this kind of romantic notion of going out into the world and f- having your adventure and, and, you know, finding the truth on the top of the mountain kind of thing. And I, I was really taken <laughs> with that image. Yeah, um, I, I get it. But, you know, you said that uh, one of the moments of clarity you had was uh, uh, like very peaceful one in the woods or like... Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So you wanted to recapture that, yeah, that peacefulness, right? Yeah, yeah. So like, yeah, there was like that was one thing that sort of triggered this this feeling, this experience. Um, you know, having having these kinds of like conversations with friends would also sort of increase that feeling. So, um, but so, do you th- do you think these moments were random, or you know, these so moments s- of clarity or moments of self conscious experience and stuff like that? Yeah. Yes, yeah, so, so that's a really good question. So um, I think sometimes they were random. Like, so the the walking through the trees, peaceful feeling experience was um, after I had done a radio show, and so I was just walking back to my my dormitory, mm. and it just happened to be, it you know the, the the light and the snow and the quiet all just sort of happened to come up come up at once. Um, but it's so I had sort of these experiences randomly, but then I started thinking, is there a way? to sort of force the issue a little bit to like structure my life such that this could be more frequent, you know? And so mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I remember intentionally saying, I'm going to just stay awake for as long as I possibly can. <laughs> okay. So here's the thought, uh, fast forward uh, 20 or, I mean, I'm not sure how old are you, but I'm for, I'm in my mid forties. Okay. So fast forward 20 years. Uh, yeah, yeah. so did you achieve it? <laughs> yeah. Well, so to close out the um, one way ticket experience. Mm. So, as I was doing that, there was a um, an open house for a meditation practice from India right down the street <laughs> where I was living. <laughs> and, so, and so, so you didn't know about it before? Yeah. Well, no. So like I live in a um, – so I was working in a town, which coincident – this was 20, 25 years ago. The breakfast diner I was working at is in the same uh, area um, in the uh, in U.S. where I live right now, mm-hmm. coincidentally. It's very kind of open, social, progressive, liberal, uh, open kind of uh, – college culture kind of place. Mm. I don't know if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But anyway, they, there's always sort of like, um, like, like there's a lot of opportunity to learn about yoga and that kind of thing. So there was, it was just an open house at a library about uh, this meditation practice. And I just, I went to it and it was awesome. And uh, I really connected with the experience of it. And I've been doing that practice ever since. And so I sort of, I, I ended up not going to India because I, it's sort of, it's like India came to me, right? Yeah, somehow um, I feel this is good that you didn't didn't travel to India. <laughs> even yeah, even though but, I believe that you would have some great, you know, spiritual experiences, I yeah. I somehow think that 
the physical life of yours would would not be uh, as, as good. It may have been a little dangerous. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> may may have been a lot. <laughs> yeah, right. So, uh, yeah, so so I found that that practice, and I was like, okay, this is the sort of structured practice of something I can do every day that can is a conscious effort where I can sort of try and create this centeredness feeling uh, in the morning and try and have that be expressive over the course of my day. So ever since then, so that was like 20, 20, 25 years ago, um, the real focus of my life has been from that kind of big picture perspective has been trying to be as disciplined as possible as I can with sort of executing on that practice. And it's been, I've talked about this a couple of times in the podcast, it's been a real hard problem for me. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, in, in, some, in some respects, you know, I'm, I, you know, I, I work hard and, you know, I have a lot of responsibilities and all that, but, but I'm, I'm still trying to establish like this sort of consistent morning routine and then, the, you know, consistent practice. And, uh, and so I feel very fortunate that I feel like I figured things out for myself very early on in life so that I have <laughs> time enough to try and execute on the plan. Right? <laughs> yeah, you know, some things, it feels like some things they're just never, never gonna, like, I you know, I wanted to, to run every morning. And it's a similar sort of thing that you have to do every day. And then, like, your life is always changing. It's never gonna be, uh, I mean, I don't know, I haven't worked yet. People say it's not, you know, nine to five, nine to five, so it's every day is the same. But really, I think it's never going to be so that like every day is the same. It's it's always going to be like oh you know what uh, I I I'm usually my goal is to run every every day, but lately I haven't been doing it. You know, it's like it's always yeah. going to be repeating that cycle of getting into the routine yeah. and getting out of it. Yeah, yeah. I I remember um, after uh, several several long attempts at establishing a very consistent morning routine with exercise and meditation and all that and just being very frustrated at like failing yet again mm -hmm, yeah. and and I wrote my my meditation teacher my uh I call him my guru but like my sort of meditation teacher and um I was out in sort of frustration mm -hmm. I was like you know what is the secret to uh to to, to establishing this and he, he wrote me back a really simple reply he's like you have to try try and try again and keep on trying you know w without without break it's like you, there is no secret sauce that you're just gonna, you know, flip a switch and all of a sudden, you know, you're doing something. You just have to repeatedly uh, attempt the effort. You know, hopefully learn from your failed attempts and then keep going back at it and try not to have those failures um, bum you out too much. Right? Yeah. It's funny. I went for a run this morning uh, after having not run for like three months. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I haven't. So <laughs> I am not uh, succeeding in, in my in my resolution. Yeah. What do you mean, Iceland Dome? Oh, so we were talking about um, topics for the podcast, and you, t you said something about Iceland. Yeah, just and, I just uh, wanted to see Iceland. Well, you know that uh, that island in the middle of the uh, Atlantic. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I thought I thought you said the Iceland Dome, D-O-M-E, Dome. No? I don't know what that is. No, oh, okay. Uh, it might have been one of those um, autocorrect features. Ah, uh, maybe. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, because uh, ever since, actually, ever since I watched a movie that have you seen Secret Life of Walter Mitty? No, but I read the book. Oh, really? 
Yeah. How could you have read the book and not seen that movie? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Well, the, the it's, for, for me, that's very strange because I don't read a lot. <laughs> ah, okay. Uh, but any, I think I read it in school. Anyway, I recommend uh, that movie very much. So ever since that, seeing that movie, I was really, really inspired to go to Iceland because parts of it were filmed in Iceland. Uh, okay. And so just the mood, just like the like the peacefulness of the nature in the Iceland and just the, the beauty of it, 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 it set me like a goal for next couple of years. I want to I wanna go to Iceland. Yeah. And oh, you should totally do that. Yeah, I know. But so I was, uh, I almost gone to Iceland this summer. But to be honest, there were lots of roadblocks on my way. Yeah. One of them was actually that, uh, well, the trip to Iceland is actually, there is a road, I mean, there are lots of roads in Iceland, but there is like a main road. It's called Route 1. And it is a road okay. uh, around Iceland, around its country, you know. And it's basically most of the things you want to see are on that road. And, right. And uh, so the way you go to on the trip to Iceland is uh, like a road trip. And <laughs> problem of mine was that I don't have a driver's license. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So so I was, <laughs> I was going to classes and I was... Anyway, this was one of the limitations, let's say. Also... Expensive flights uh, to yeah. Iceland uh, and a couple more reasons. So I don't know. Yeah. I, I I still have like a dream to go dream to go to Iceland uh, and uh, I'm not sure when it's gonna happen, but I'm yeah. I'm sure it's gonna happen. It's it's a good time of your life to try and do those things. You know, the less um, you know, the older you get, the more likely you are to have a commitment to a job or or even a you know a relationship or mm -hmm. a family mm -hmm. and. And it's 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 harder to to carve out those free times. Oh yeah, you know you you sort of have this window of opportunity, you know, when you're young, of being relatively unencumbered, and so and you know also not having you know a lot of financial obligations, and so you can you make that happen. Well, I, ho I hope that happens for you. I it's funny you mentioned about the driver's license. I in the U.S. you can get your driver's license at uh, 16 years old, mm -hmm. and um, most everyone my age was was very excited to do that. I didn't get my driver's license till I was 23. It was initially I was just sort of lazy about it, and then I developed because of it had gone so long without driving. I developed kind of a fear of it. How and, did you uh, get out, get around without driving in, in U.S.? I heard that like you have to have a car there. Like yeah, like it, if you want to well, go to if you're gonna go, want to go shopping, you have to have a car, right? Yeah, I mean it sort of depends where you are. Like so, when I was in school. Um, everything was fairly self-contained. So if you didn't want to leave the campus, you didn't have to. Um, so that that was fine during my school years. And yeah, it I sort of just extended it by asking for rides from people. Mm. <laughs> but it eventually became a problem. And um, my uh, my girlfriend of the time, who eventually became my wife, and she still is, just started teaching me to drive. And we were living near Boston at the time. And uh, Boston is notorious for having very bad drivers, mm -hmm. very bad traffic. <laughs> And uh, she was trying to teach me to drive, and it was it was very very unnerving. So when we got married, we went on our honeymoon to India, <laughs> and we spent and we spent uh, a few weeks in India. And um, in India, the rickshaw drivers are just crazy, and traffic in India is this wild adventure of every type of vehicle merging into every other type of vehicle, and there aren't really lanes. And uh, 
it's very harrowing, right? So, um, so after having experienced that for three weeks, um, I came back to the U.S. With and no it was like nothing. So I got my driver's license after that. But I, I sort of had to fear for my life in India first. Actually, the problem of mine is that it's actually really tough in Poland to pass the driver's license test. Mm. Uh, they have like a, first there is like a theoretical test, which is uh, which is hard, but I passed it. And then there is a practical test which I failed twice already, uh, and it's it it's really tough because you can only make one mistake, and if you make this one mistake, you, you didn't pass. Oh wow! And so that's a very high bar. Yeah, yeah, and so it's like one big mistake or two small mistakes. So for average, like Polish person, it takes three attempts to pass this test. Wow! Yeah, I I'm going to guess that Tom would be very much in favor of that. I mean, yes. He's, uh, we've uh, we've had some discussions back and forth about um, safety on the roads. <laughs> yes, but I'm just tempted to go to Ukraine and just get my driver's license there. <laughs> oh, it's easier there. <laughs> oh, it's much easier there. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, funny. So, I was actually wondering about dreams. I I I told you I wanted to talk about dreams because when I yeah. when I saw this movie uh, that is uh, Walter Mitty, yes, I. Because I was like 11th grade or something. So it was like a dream to go to Iceland, you know? Hmm. And so after a while it became like a goal, you know? Because I had like ma- started making plans, started uh, to finding a route where I can travel and stuff. Right. So I just thought to myself, like, dreams is quite like... It, it's more for, like, children. It's less for adults, I feel like. Yeah. But I'm not sure. So... W- you're in your 40s. Can you tell me what's... Uh, do you have dreams anymore? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, so it, it's funny. I, I was So when you asked this question, I was, I was trying to think about how it's maybe changed for me over time. And uh, I, I don't know. I have a hard time thinking about what I've tried to do in terms of dreams. Like when I think about dreams, I think about having a vision and then trying to achieve that vision. Like... Oh, I want to win gold medal at the Winter Olympics in um, uh, ski jump. And so mm-hmm. I imagine what that is, which is you, know, you can do in your imagination. And now I'm going to try and bring that imagination into reality. So I, I, I sort of I, I think of dreams as like you have a vision and then you're trying to achieve that vision. I don't think I've st- structured my life in, in that way. I've, I've more sort of been driven by, I guess I would call it a, a desire to... Not, again, not to sound too flaky, but like, like self improvement or or like becoming something other than achieving a vision. Like, the sort of grand feeling I had at, at the end of my sort of philosophical um, explorations in school is that, you know, I feel best when I have this just beaming feeling of unconditional love for everyone and everything. And okay. I I I, it's, I know how cheesy it sounds, but like. Like, and that, that like feeling, I want to be as expressive as possible in my life. And so uh, however that manifests itself is is good for me. So, you know, like I'm married with three kids now, but uh, and, and that's wonderful. And it's a it's an amazing part of my life. But it's not like I started out with the intention of my dream is to become married and have three kids. It's sort of just what naturally happened on the course of. I want to live and express my life sort of, uh, you know, doing the most possible good I can do uh, for the greater good, right? And um, I, 
I, I try and hold on to that feeling, which is, is hard sometimes, <laughs> you know, when, when people treat you um, not so nicely or, uh, or, or I'm just in a funk of, you know, battling something at work or whatever, it's hard to maintain, but I've, I've tried, I tried and maintain an expression of that, of that feeling in my life, which, which I think is maybe a little different than, oh, I have a dream that I want to go to Japan or, uh, you know, win a million dollars or, or some other specific thing like that. Mm -hmm. Does that make any sense? Yeah. So, so you're saying that your, uh, motivations are mostly not, uh, dreams, but like, just wanted to feel good like like very short term i guess just kind of yeah i want to feel good tomorrow so i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna do something to feel good tomorrow but not or maybe maybe you're saying that i want to feel good and then what is the situation gonna be for example where am i gonna live while i'm feeling good it's not doesn't matter as much right yeah it's kind of like um yeah, again, to be like sort of big picture philosophical, like I feel like humanity, the the grand arc of humanity and people on the planet is, is this huge, huge, long, long, long story. Mm-hmm. And my life is like this drop <laughs> in this ocean. And so when I take as much of a step back as I can, I think, all right, what's what's the greatest good I could possibly do to minimize human suffering over the millennia? You know, what, what, as one individual with this very short lifetime, with this very limited ability to affect the world, what, 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 can, I, what can I do to contribute, right? And I sort of concluded that if I can experience this, what I think is not an often experienced dimension of existence, this sort of just in feeling of just unconditional love for everyone and everything, and I can make my life as expressive of, as, of that as I can, that that's the most good I can do to contribute to the world you know it's kind of like contributing the best vibe into the consciousness soup is <laughs> going to create c- create the most positive ripples outward going forward into the world and that's and so however that manifests itself whether you know whether i'm podcasting with some dude i just met from ukraine mm. or you know, or you know or, or mm. uh taking a walk uh with my wife through the woods or whatever you know it that's that's fine now that that's not to say i don't have like specific goals you know like like you mentioned iceland um and it's funny because just that morning you know coincidentally i was looking at at iceland because we i've had such a fun experience with my my kids that are now getting older of adventuring and traveling to new places of that i've been looking for different places and uh living where i am on the east coast of the u.s iceland is only like five hours away uh, by plane so mm-hmm. oh <laughs> yeah i if, if you have a chance you should definitely go uh, especially My, actually in the winter right now you could see what what's it called this uh, polar light po- aurora borealis sorry N- uh, the aurora borealis okay i'm not sure the n- northern lights yeah northern lights yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah the same thing yeah 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 my um actually one of my my wife's um uh wishes is is to see the see the northern lights i i got to see them once so i went to school in maine which is like the very most north uh eastern state in the u.s mm-hmm. um so it's not quite as north as iceland but occasionally the northern lights will dip down into maine and i got to see them once and it was pretty incredible it was like this shimmering curtain of light green somethingness really close to the gr- it felt really close to the ground huh. <laughs> it was really but it's gotta be dark, really quite yes? quite remarkable it's gotta be dark to see them yeah yeah so it's um yeah weather can be a big 
uh, imposition. But um, no, but I meant like if you're in the city, it's too much light pollution. Or did you see it in the city? Uh, no. So I went to school in a fairly rural part of the the state, and so someone got a tip that the aurora borealis was going to be visible that night. So we drove out like into a golf course uh, mm. as far away from the small town lights as we could, and it was it was it was a really clear night. Yeah, we j- we got really lucky because we were. Um, they had dipped down. Occasionally, the northern lights will dip down fairly far, mm-hmm. um, but you re- mm-hmm. you know you have to get lucky, and the weather has to be perfect, and light pollution. Yeah, they say even if you go into Iceland to get have the best chance to see them, you want to get out of the lights of uh, Reykjavik and yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. And. Actually, actually, that's one more reason I want to get a driver's license because I I actually wanted to get I wanted to get into astronomy a little bit. Just a little bit, because mm. I, I got uh, a little telescope on, for my birthday. So I wanted to use it, except because here in the city I can I can look at the moon, basically. That, that's uh, all that right. is uh, accessible to me with, with this kind of light pollution. But, yeah, so I wanted to, I wanted to just get a car and just go somewhere outside the city. But, yeah... I looked. I looked into it. So uh, there is a way to just go by bus there, <laughs> but it, that's <laughs> yeah. That seems like kind of a something you don't want to do on vacation is sit on a bus. <laughs> yeah, sit on the bus and then uh, wait for it and then uh, go somewhere by foot, trying to find a right. dark place. Yeah, yeah. Light pollution is a is a pretty big problem. There's um in the U.S. There's like uh, half a dozen. They call them dark sky parks. Oh, yeah, I heard of them. Yeah. yeah, so they're specifically set up to have the lowest amount of light pollution possible. Well, that's amazing. Do, do you um, know how large are they? Are they actually, like, big? Uh, not, not, not that large. So, um, yeah, I, I, think, uh, I think they try and set them up uh, as far away from major cities as possible. Mm-hmm. And then they have sort of rules around in the park of, of how much light you can use and... When when I did my um, summer national park trip with my family last summer, we had a couple of opportunities when we were camping out middle of some of the national parks out out in the western U.S. Where, where it was really clear, and it, it the the difference in the number of stars you can see is is pretty amazing. It's, oh uh, yeah, it's, it's it's great. I had a yeah awesome time with my daughter one night, just lying down on her back and looking up. And it, it's funny too because it takes your eyes a little bit to adjust. Mm-hmm. So that you can see all the all the stars and uh, yeah, it was great. We saw um, uh, the International Space Station, which you can see oh, with really? the naked eye on a really clear night. Oh, that's cool. Actually, yeah. I had uh, one similar moment, like but not of clarity, but just a moment of interest when I uh, so I've been to the mountains and we had uh, because to the west uh, of Ukraine there are like big mountains. It's called Carpathian Mountains, and we've been on the trip with the class and. The coolest thing is that there is a highest mountain in Ukraine. Uh, it's called Havarla, and so we went on a trip to summit that mountain at night with oh, nice. with our class, uh, which was quite crazy and really cool. Uh, so we like the goal was to to see the dawn from the top of the mountain. Oh, wonderful! Yeah, yeah, it was really great. And and so that's awesome. So during uh, that night at the beginning, I guess of the descent, I I've just I just kind of looked up, and the sky was so clear and so full of stars. And and then later I could see when they came closer to dawn, I could see like a little line 
or maybe not a little, but like like a line that starts to divide dark part from a bright part. Right. And it was so beautiful. And and that's actually why I got the telescope for my birthday because I I just got interested in that stuff. That's awesome. Yeah, I had um when when I was in India 20 years ago with my wife, we traveled all over and we had one night up in the Himalayas in the Himalayan mountains in northern India and we had we had one night like that. We just got really lucky with the uh the weather and uh just standing felt like feeling like you're standing on top of the world and seeing easily twice as many stars as I would normally oh, see yeah. Yeah. in the US and just it just the thickness of of the number of stars just just incredible could you make out milky way uh oh yeah oh, absolutely yeah oh the, yeah. yeah yeah with the the stretching across the the middle of the sky mm-hmm. yeah your your sunrise story reminded me of when i was in school we decided to go see the sunrise over the very small i wouldn't even call them mountains but small mountain range in one of the states in uh northeastern u.s mm-hmm. and it was in the middle of winter and so a couple of my friends drove me because I didn't have my driver's license. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, we, we spent all night. We drove um, to this this place, and it was totally snow covered over the mountains. And we we watched the sunrise, and it was it was unreal. Like we were sitting next to each other, watching the sunrise, and just having the streams of light pour over the mountains and over the the snow covered fields and the the reflections and. We were just looking at each other, literally with our mouths open, about how ridiculously, indescribably beautiful it was. And we're like, we we couldn't possibly convey the the impact of this exper- experience to anyone. Oh yeah, I, I bet it uh, it appealed to you as a philosophy major. <laughs> oh, to- totally. Oh, this was like, yeah, I remember that moment as sort of being the the nexus of like, I mean, I was sleep deprived. Uh, I had a, some coffee earlier in the night, so I, mean, I was buzzing on that and. Uh, you know, and then this like huge nature impact, and then there I am with these friends that I feel really great with, and yeah, that was that was pretty fantastic. <laughs> wow. Well, I I uh, I hope you get your your Iceland uh, astronomy experience. I hope that too. Is and where you are now? Are you in a, a urban setting, or or how's the light pollution? Oh, it's it's horrible. I I am in yeah. basically the center of Orso. Oh, okay. No good. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, we have a big uh, <laughs> problem here with. Uh, just pol- regular pollution, hmm. uh, like air pollution. Uh, so we have all kinds of pollution here in Poland, you know. Yeah, when I see pictures of, of some cities where people are just going to their jobs with a, a breathing mask on. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm like, yeah, we have some uh, of that. Ah, uh, that's <laughs> that's that's pretty sad. <laughs> it's pretty recent too that this many people started, not many, but some people started to wearing these masks. But yeah. I don't know if they help. I uh, I didn't do my research on that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I I, yeah, I wouldn't want to go to work with this kind of mask. Yeah, that doesn't doesn't seem the greatest thing to be doing for your long term health. Uh, <laughs> not wearing a mask is. You, well, I was, I was saying having to live your life in a city where you are experiencing such pollution oh, yeah. that you need to wear a mask. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh man, I want to move. I want to move to like Italy. You know. <laughs> right. Not really. Just just kind of. That would be that would be good, but I want to learn Italian, so fuck it now. <laughs> so what what language did you what was what was your native language growing up? Uh it was, I would say that I have two native languages. That is Ukrainian okay. and Russian. Okay, and then you learned English in school. Yes, I learned English at school from basically the age of like five or six. I started learning, and then I 
I've actually I've moved to Poland without knowing Polish language. It's it's actually it's not that hard because they're similar. The Polish language is similar to Ukrainian, but it did t- it did take me quite a long time relative to other people. It, it, take, it took me like two years to to start, you know, talking properly with, with yeah with Polish people. So you so you're like at least trilingual. You have Ukrainian, Russian, English, and uh, and then you have a couple years of of Polish yeah, um, under your belt. I, I I would say that I'm quadrilingual already. <laughs> wow, yeah. that's pretty awesome. Like for Americans, that would be very rare. Um, I think most Americans speak only English, and uh, it's interesting. Um, so on the school committee, right? We're looking at this idea of having some of our classes for very young children be dual language immersion, mm-hmm. and so we have a we have a large percentage of uh, Spanish speakers in my town, and so we're we're looking at this idea of having classes. It's called dual language immersion, where you have a class that's taught in both English and in Spanish. And uh, and so from so you can choose or you have to or or do they oh, so it, just do one lesson English one lesson Spanish exactly so like one English so it's, the immersion piece means that from the very beginning the classes like when you're learning math in first grade it's being taught in both Spanish and then in English and so it's it's this idea that when when you're very young your mind is is very open and flexible to learning multiple languages in such a way that that you're not when you're an adult. Like if you're an adult and you want to learn a different language, you have to go to class and it's this, you know, effort kind of process where if you are immersed in it, um, then you sort of naturally absorb it. Wait, and, so um, what's, the, what's the policy here for, for people who, who will just say, well, my kid doesn't understand half the classes, half the material, so that's why he's failing. So it's not his fault. <laughs> right. So, so that's a good question. Um, so one thing we're looking at like in our school district is having it be a, an optional thing where across the school district, if you want to participate in dual language immersion, you can, hmm. but you can choose to just have your classes in, in English. Um, there's a lot of very interesting research that we've been talking about at the school committee about the benefits of, of learning two languages, hmm. um, and not just because the world is becoming more global, and so it's, it's nice to have the option to have two languages, but just being able to think in two different terminologies is helpful and um there's a uh there's a sort of core educational problem in the u.s called the achievement gap which is if you are of a certain if if you don't speak english natively then your academic achievement compared to those who speak english natively is not as good oh for um, sure I and mean, uh, if you can understand the class yeah and so there's um right because you have to go to school you have to learn english first mm-hmm. and you also have to learn what's being taught at the same time. Uh, and so there's all sorts of work and research to try and understand what the best way to approach this is. And it's the, this model of dual language immersion is, a, is sort of emerging in um, the research as, as a really good way to where you can teach in, the, in two languages at the same time, and it has benefits to both, both native English speakers and, and speakers of, of, an, of a different language. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I think that's a real that's a real shortcoming of of the U.S. is that we have much less of a breadbasket of of languages and l- much less uh, percent of our population is multilingual. You know the fact that you it, I think it's it's fairly common when I talk to Europeans of the, that they speak two or three languages. Just, just think is awesome. Oh uh, yeah, actually, I mean I don't think you can get around in Ukraine without speaking. Oh, I guess you can, but really most people can speak two languages, like Russian, Ukrainian. 
it's actually funny that uh, most Ukrainians can speak Russian or at least understand Russian, except maybe like the most Western part. But Russians cannot understand Ukrainian. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, maybe they can, but not as like much, much worse. And so it's very funny to me that uh, like for me, I basically don't see almost any difference if someone speaks Russian or Ukrainian. Like for example, if I went to see a movie and then I come out of the theater, mm. sometimes I can't remember which language was it. Like, was it Russian or was it Ukrainian? <laughs> and, and, and so, oh, it's pretty wild. Yeah, it's so strange to me that someone can not understand Ukrainian, not understanding Russian. It's, it's strange. Right. Huh. Are they similar languages at, at their root? Like, do they share Yes, yes. They, origins? they have oh. a very, like, they're very similar, I'd say. Interesting. I, I find it very interesting when, when people know multiple languages that have vastly different roots. Like my brother, Brother X, he mm. lives in Japan, mm-hmm. and so... Uh, he he's fluent in Japanese as well as English, and so totally different um, structured languages. Uh, and he he said it took him a few years before he started dreaming in in Japanese. Uh huh. Like, like, like what language do you do you dream in? Wait, how do you dream in a language? <laughs> well, like Don't if you you're dreaming about somebody talking to you, what what language are they talking to you in? Ah, oh that. Uh, I don't I don't think I talk in my dreams. Maybe I do. Hmm. But actually, like, do you think uh, in one language more often than the yeah, other? Yeah, that's strange because uh, since I moved to Poland and since I started speaking English uh, most of the time because I didn't know Polish, so I started speaking English. And so still, even though I speak Polish and English and like all of the languages now, I still, most of the time, I think in English. Huh. And it was... Interesting. Yeah, it was so weird for me. And I don't like it very much. I mean... It's fine when I'm speaking English, but when I'm uh, in Ukraine, for example, and I'm just uh, walking down the street, and all of the thoughts are in English, it's like it's some um, inappropriate. <laughs> <laughs> can can you force can you force yourself to think in in Ukrainian? Yeah, yeah, you can. Like if I speak the whole day in Ukrainian, it, it chances are I'm gonna think in Ukrainian too. But you know, sometimes not. Interesting. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. Actually, I find it really interesting sometimes to compare the languages and the words in different languages. I mean, I'm in no way a philologist or whatever, but Polish and Ukrainian are also similar uh, somewhat. Not not as much as Ukrainian and Russian, but then Polish has more links to English. Right. So it is some somewhat related, and sometimes hmm. I find words that I see the link between Polish word and English word. And then I see the link between Polish word and Ukrainian word. Right, right. It's like uh, it's almost like Polish is the bridge language between yes, the two. Exactly. But you have but <laughs> when you look at Ukrainian word and English word, it looks like they have they have nothing in common. Right. Huh. That is interesting. Mm. Well, maybe um maybe on the side of your electrical engineering career, you could um you could teach languages. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hope not. Hope not. <laughs> Actually, I have some experience in teaching, and I, I mean, in tutoring, and uh, I don't like it. <laughs> is, it, is it that you don't have the patience for it, or just... Uh... Uh, actually, right now I'm uh, tutoring some people in physics, and uh, when I joined that website, the tutoring website, uh, I also chose like a thing that I can teach. And so one of those things I thought, okay, so I know Russian, I guess I can teach Russian. And so I had... 
seven lessons with a, a Chinese girl that wanted to learn Russian. And so basically I learned that I don't know Russian. <laughs> that, <laughs> like I can speak it, but when it comes to right. grammar, I just, you know, like I know what, how it should be correctly. But then during those seven lessons, I had to learn myself or at least like revise all of the things of how, uh, how grammar works in Russian. Yeah, like, it's. I guess there's a difference between having a a working knowledge of it uh, versus a an academic knowledge of it. Yeah. So after seven lessons, uh, <laughs> after seven lessons, I actually I learned most of it. I felt like, but uh, well, she, I don't know. She she said that she had some. I, I think she, I think I was no good. That's I think <laughs> I think that's why we stopped. <laughs> uh, trying to teach somebody something else does expose. The gaps in your own knowledge for sure oh, yeah <laughs> over the years if, if um uh, like a more junior programmer comes on and they say oh can you teach me this particular programming language or coding technique and then i i start start in on it i immediately start to see the gaps in my own <laughs> ability and say you know you you may, might want to learn this on your own <laughs> even things that i've been working with for years sometimes I'll, I'll go into a meeting and someone will say oh you know peter's an expert in blah 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 and i'm like no, i'm not an expert I, I i can't imagine ever knowing enough about anything to call myself an expert that 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 word is just so oh yeah i hear you yeah <laughs> so I, far, I, I, it's like the more i learn about something the more i see how much i don't know about it and so to be able to then say oh i know everything is just so far beyond <laughs> oh yeah you know it's a famous uh, i don't know dilemma that you you probably studied in philosophy that some sort of analogy about the balloon that you, the more you learn, the more is the, like the radius of the balloon. But then, the surface is that you don't you don't know, and so the radius is increasing yes. linearly, and surface is uh, quadratically or whatever. Yes. Yeah. The more the more you know, the more you know that you don't know. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a much more elegant way to say what I said. <laughs> so, Pad, you said that you have a flag yes. flag confession. What's that? Flag confession? I don't know. You said that. Oh, a flag confession. Yeah. Yes. Well, I... Oh, yeah. So flag referendum. Um, mm -hmm. So I came on as a listener to Hello Internet about 56, episode 56 or, or so. So I, I missed the um, the flag referendum and I, I did not send my postcard in. Wait, 56? Um, that's, that's where I came in. Uh, I th my, first one, oh, yeah? my first was, I think, uh, Element Zod that I listened live. I mean, not live, like when it came out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think that's when I hopped mm. on. So, so I, I then like went back and, and listened to uh, some of the, the old episodes. I think I remember the moment when I realized that I wasn't listening to a, a, a typical podcast was the two dudes counting podcast where they're just, all they're doing is counting the postcards. Okay. <laughs> and, and uh, I, I, just, I remember Brady just, it was totally not dramatic moment. He's like, and another vote for Flaggy Flag. And I just realized I'm listening to this really long recording of two people reading postcards. <laughs> Wait, so you like, didn't realize like, that? This is not the typical. Uh... And so, yeah, I, I I sort of got the two dudes talking vibe, but the, the extreme nature of talking about nothing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> to me, that's the real genius of Hello Internet is that it does not matter what they're talking about. They just have such a gift and such a chemistry of being able to make anything they're talking about 
just sound interesting. And it, it's only helped by, um, I mean, personally, Brady, to me, has like the smoothest voice I've ever heard. Mm. <laughs> so I could listen to him just read a technical manual and be entertained. <laughs> I, just, I, just, I just love how his little turns of phrase are just so so great. But yeah, but um, in terms of the referendum itself, uh, I'm definitely a flaggy flag uh, oh. supporter. So. Oh, my. Yeah, so count me. Count me on the the Rebel Alliance, um, and and so I would I would be interested to ask you this question because you know you're from Ukraine and you have you know Russian, don't you think the nail and gear looks a little bit like the hammer and sickle wait, from the Russian wait, flag? But do you, do you not know the history of uh, nail and gear? Uh, do you not know I, your so history? So I have not listened to so <laughs> I have not listened to every you know episode full disclosure. So I probably don't know the full history. Oh yeah. So actually, I don't know if I can find it now, but the first design of nail and gear was uh, that nail and gear was golden on a red background okay so it's actually so very evocative of the russian flag oh yeah <laughs> it's 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 basically like a pun on 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 uh ussr flag <laughs> but then they changed it and it you know it still looked looked good and also not really evocative of that flex and so that's that so you're right it's it, it is very uh, similar or you know <laughs> I, I think as a logo the nail and gear is perfect i just really liked the simple beauty of flaggy flag actually but and and how about so you said that you like the beauty yes like just the appearance mm. of it and, and yeah so how about the actual explanation like what it stands for what flaggy flag stands yeah. for i guess i missed that as well yeah <laughs> the other confession oh. is that my short-term memory is like I'm, I'm like a mosquito in terms of my uh, oh. Let me give you <laughs> let me give you a history lesson, Pat. So okay, uh, yes, please. <laughs> actually, but I'm not 100% sure. But I think uh, on two teams talking, they mentioned uh, this thing, and I think they got it wrong. So, as far as I understood, the flag flag is uh, gray and white and black. Yes. So gray yeah. on uh, one side and white and black on the second side. So, as far as I understand. Gray is actually meant to represent Brady, and white and black was meant to represent Gray, because, <laughs> yeah, because when they're talking about some, I don't know, some issue, then Brady always can uh, kind of understand both sides, and is like in the middle, and Gray is always kind of uh, has some kind of extreme views of like, oh, this is totally wrong, or or or, that's how it has to be and Brady is like kind of wishy-washy so that's why I think I think that's why it's uh, okay I can see that yeah that that just makes me love the flag even more (laughs) yeah it's 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 a good explanation but uh, no I'm a I'm a hardcore uh, nailing gear guy all right well so long as we don't meet each other on the the flag battlefield (laughs) I think we'll be all right oh yeah (laughs) did did you enjoy speaking of um uh, wish you are in the middle takes and extreme takes. Do you enjoy their uh, perspective on the Star Wars movies? Oh man, this is the whole thing for me because actually I'm not a fan of Star Wars, and All and right. I only seen like two of those movies. I think I well I don't want to I don't want to hurt your feelings because I know you are <laughs> no, <that's all> right. <laughs> and so many people. But uh, well I'm not, and uh, but still you know I still enjoy those episodes. And you know what? The funniest thing is, I have no idea what or who is Doctor Who. 
or like what is that about <laughs> but i've listened to you talk right. about it for hours and hours <laughs> <laughs> but it's fine you know it's 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 again it's just if you like personalities and just people you can listen to them talk about whatever yeah right yeah i mean i could if if brady just flipped the record button on and like did his grocery shopping and narrated what he was doing that's like more entertaining for me than 90% of other stuff that's <laughs> out there. <laughs> so, yeah. how did you listen to because I remember that you didn't you used to not have a phone. I mean, uh not have yes. a smartphone, right? Right. So, how did you listen to Hello Internet? <laughs> okay, here's my really embarrassing low-tech um thing because the other the other challenge for me for listening to podcasts is that I don't I don't have tons of free time to just listen to things for a couple mm-hmm. hours so really my best opportunity is in my commute so i i drive back and forth to work twice a week mm-hmm. and the drive is two hours each way so that that's my best chance so what i used to do was i would download the mp3 onto my laptop and then i would copy it over to what was i doing at the time i think i was burning a cd <laughs> and then i would take and then I would take that CD and play it in the CD player of my car. Wow, that's almost as bad as yeah. I imagined. I thought you're, <laughs> I thought you're like going to the library and accessing the internet from the library, and then going to the Hello Internet website and clicking the play button. Uh, <laughs> no, it was really bad. And I eventually upgraded to doing the same thing, but copying the MP3 onto a little USB device that I would then stick into my car because my audio system changed um but yeah once it's it's a lot easier having the phone <laughs> that's another double-edged sword in my life that i constantly struggle oh, yeah, with yeah. i've mentioned mentioned a few times the uh, cell phone mm-hmm. so here's a question <laughs> to you because you just mentioned that you're traveling twice a week to work yeah yeah and so are you still working at your programming job or do you are you only uh, at your school committee now okay so the so the school committee is a as an unpaid public service uh oh, gig okay yeah so that's totally volunteer you so you still have to it's a, it's a publicly elected office so you have to run a campaign and people vote for you and all oh, that yeah. but um but once you are it's 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 unpaid mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's just uh volunteer service okay then so can you explain what exactly are you doing there like what is your function yeah yeah so in in the u.s the notion of a school committee or a school board are publicly elected people from the community and your job basically is to oversee the policies and the budget of the school so you know for the time being public education is still publicly funded in the u.s <laughs> um there's the question of well, what what do you do with that money do you invest in this particular program like we were just talking about um possibility of having some of our classes be dual language immersion so that would be like a big change that the school committee would would vote on. And um, the other main function is that you hire and evaluate the superintendent. So the superintendent in in a school system is kind of like the CEO of a company. It's their job to run run the schools and they they hire the principals and teachers and and whatnot and uh, sort of set the policies and and what goes on in the school. And so the school committee is kind of like uh, and the analogy of a business is kind of like the board of directors that oversees oversees that. And, it, and it's supposed to be 
representative of the public. And so you get voted so that the public has a say in how the money is spent and what the, the policies of the, the school are. Okay. My, my interest is in, like, what is the power structure here? I mean, if the school committee decides that, like, uh, all of the schools in the town are implementing this, this program, so they have to listen to you? Yeah. Or... Yeah. So the separation of control is somewhat detailed between the superintendent. So the superintendent is kind of running the show, but the school committee has the ability to fire or hire the superintendent. Mm -hmm. And then any major decisions like, for example, we have three elementary schools in our town. And so if we got into uh, trouble where one of our buildings was very expensive and we had to replace the building, uh, oh, well, what are we going to do? Are we going to borrow, ask the town to borrow a lot of money? to build a new school or are we just going to close that and have two schools or hmm. uh are we going to what are we going to do to uh, uh address you know such and such problem and so that it's kind of like the oversight committee yeah, so you're like more um, big picture stuff big picture guy yeah 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 and so you you rely on the superintendent to be the the person who's running the operations and then the principals are the running each of the schools and supporting the teachers so it's all it's all really in support of the teachers that are teaching the kids, uh, but, but you try and be that interface between the community and the and the school because because ultimately it's the people that are it's people in the town that are paying the taxes that fund the schools and so you try and try and represent them as much of as possible. Course. So it leads to a lot of interesting political social things. <laughs> so do you enjoy enjoy that uh, service? I mean, yeah. I guess I so it it it's a lot of work. Like you said, um, you're asking me if if I still do the software job uh, with this job. So it's it's kind of like having a second job that I don't get paid for. Mm. <laughs> um, and it, it's really, it's at times can be very time demanding. There's a lot to learn and, you know, you want to make an informed decision. And so you want to talk to a lot of people. And so it's definitely a, a challenge for me in terms of my, my time management. But I, but I do find it very rewarding, um, very, very fulfilling in, in, in a way that I, I feel like complements what I try and do with like, like, like the meditation stuff. So like, the, you know, meditation and feeling unconditional love and broadcasting that vibe. It's all very like high level, big picture things. Hmm. Um, where, whereas the stuff I do in school committee, I feel like is a very specific, detailed thing that, that's impacting what's right in front of me right it's like the stuff i do in school committee isn't going to affect anything outside of like my town mm -hmm. right because we're we're just talking about the schools and, and the education of the kids in, in this town um but it's it's something i can do to give back to, to the people that are immediately around me so in the end even though it can often be very frustrating when you're trying to do something uh and and people don't understand the reasons for what you're doing um trying to communicate that to the broad public uh can be can be challenging but um but i, f I find it fulfilling I find it rewarding yeah i mean i wonder you know you have you have basically two jobs and then you record a podcast and then you have a time to record this podcast <laughs> that's pretty amazing <laughs> you, you know it's it's funny um I, i've talked to tom a little bit about this but there is this paradox i think of time management I don't know if you listen to Cortex, which is um, CGP Gray's kind of productivity yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, podcast. He does does somebody else. So it's this this one idea of time management is that you have a finite amount of time. So what's the most efficient way to schedule things in? Mm -hmm. And then there's this other sort of 
way of looking at time, but if that if you don't start with the idea that your time is finite, if you if you just always just say yes to to the things that that are feel the most inspiring and that are going to be the most um have the most positive effect for you then then sort of you'll you'll find the time like when when tom emailed me a couple of years ago and said hey you want to do the podcast hmm. if i looked at my schedule there was no way i had time to do the podcast <laughs> and it, in fact every time we record i'm always like five or ten minutes late and i'm like running behind and i'm like oh I'll, I'll be there i'll be there <laughs> but i just i immediately replied to him said yes let's do it because it, it just felt like something that was going to be a sort of positive experience for me so i'm like we'll figure it out you know we'll make the time and uh oh yeah man you know i i feel like it, it's it's forced me to be you know to to, to fit things in i know exactly and then, and there's a like, there's another side of it is when since i finished school basically two weeks ago and now when you don't have things you have to do when you don't have some kind of external things that govern your day and like make your schedule it's when you have a lot of time, it's much harder sometimes to to actually do anything really. It because oh, absolutely for me, I just I'm just you know I try as I can, but sometimes I just procrastinate for hours. And 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 <laughs> absolutely, it's because there's no kind of deadline motivation. And when you have that, right, you, you can actually like for example, if I if I go to school uh, or like if I go to work, then it might be the case that I'm gonna in my free time or in that free time that i have i can accomplish more than if i have the whole day unscheduled like uh, i have free day and i might do less in that day right yeah that that deadline motivation is, is something i've struggled with for a long time when i when i was when i was in school i was a chronic procrastinator chronic and and I, one of the least helpful experiences for me was <laughs> i had this um I had this final paper due for a philosophy of mind class, and it, it, like a 20-page paper. And it was midnight before the day that it was due, and I still hadn't started mm-hmm. it. <laughs> and so I'm I finally motivated at like 2 o'clock in the morning, drank three or four shots of espresso, <laughs> and just sat down at the computer and wrote this 20-page paper over the course of four hours. And, and I remember I had a bus to catch at like 7 in the morning, and I started it too, so I had a very limited amount of time to get this done. And I passed it in, and it was one of the best papers I ever wrote. I, I got an A on it, and it was, I was really proud of it. And um, and it was it it was bad because it it motivated me to say, hey, look, you don't you don't really need to be disciplined with your time, <laughs> right? It was uh, yes. It was funny like so that. so um, you know, deadlines are well, of course, they are motivating, but also. You kind of hate, I mean, I kind of hate deadlines sometimes because they're stressful, you know? Yeah. So, I don't know, double-edged sword sort of thing. Yeah. Sometimes you can, I think, artificially impose a deadline on yourself. Oh, yeah, that's which, the best kind, and you yeah. get, Yeah, I th- you, you get the benefit of a fixed point in time that you have to be done without the stress of the terrible consequences. Like, there's the best productivity technique I've ever used is called uh, Pomodoro which is you just set your watch or a timer for 25 minutes. And for that 25 minutes, you're going to work on that one thing. It's a lifesaver for me at work because I have like a lot of different things to pay attention to. But if I can put everything aside, including 
internet and email and whatever and just think about one thing and just do that one thing for 25 minutes mm. it's 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 very liberating and it's um it's especially good for me for projects that i'm dreading doing like oh my gosh my house is such a mess i can't imagine spending the day cleaning it mm-hmm. but if i'm only committing to 25 minutes and giving myself that out after 25 minutes you you can quit <laughs> and be done then it's a lot easier to to start and in nine times out of ten, after that twenty-five minutes, I want to do another twenty-five minutes because I see how productive that yeah that first batch has been. <laughs> Actually, if if you're going on tips how to start work, I have a tip that I I use. I mean, I try to use it more often because what happens to me is usually when I'm it's usually if when I'm sitting and I'm clicking some. I mean, I'm uh, browsing the internet. It's just this feeling of that I I need more. Like I want more content. Just something, right? And so what always works best for me is just close everything in one click or like uh, close your laptop and just sit there for like 10 minutes doing nothing. And then when your brain will be not kind of uh, hit with all of this content and stuff, it will just kind of relax. And then normal motivations will come back to your head like, oh, shit, I need to do that. I need to do that thing and that thing. Oh, my God. (laughs) No, that's true. I've definitely had the experience of surfing the internet, and then I realized I have like 16 tabs open. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, what am I possibly doing? And like, it's it's embarrassing, but I've been on you know either Facebook or Reddit where I'm like mindlessly scrolling through the content. And and I can I can feel my my mind just getting into this just like yeah, cycle like <laughs> you know nothingness mm-hmm. and I'm like yeah like that's a, like a really great suggestion just to like make a clean break of just you know, shut the laptop down and just sit and uh, and have no input yeah but you have <laughs> to do it really fast helpful. because you will talk yourself out of it if you if you start yeah true if you only start but actually <laughs> I don't get obsession with Facebook like I just. I'm just not interested in it. Hmm. I mean, friends post and stuff, and that is nice when friends post, but for me, when I scroll through Facebook, it's mostly some some pages, some groups, some advertisement, lots of it. So it's not addictive to me as much as, for example, Reddit is. Yeah. I, I, I do wonder more recently whether there's um, kind of an age divide in how addictive Facebook is, because for a lot of people of my age... Facebook was the first time where social media gave you this opportunity to connect with people you hadn't connected with bef- uh, in a long time. Like, you know, I have I have friends from, from college and friends from towns I used to live in and friends from previous jobs that if I didn't see them on Facebook, I would not see them anywhere else. And it was kind of like this revelation of like, oh, look, here's this technology that can connect you with people. Or I think maybe with, with people your age... And younger, you have so many different options that you grew up with of way to connect with people online that it's it's not like Facebook is the only the only answer to do that. In fact, I, I think I read recently that for the first time, Facebook is starting to lose users, Ooh. and it's it's mo- it's mostly in the um in the the younger age uh, brackets. Well, I'm happy about this. So. <laughs> Somehow I'm happy about <laughs> this. I'm not a fan of Facebook. How about MySpace? MySpace. <laughs> that was kind of like a precursor to Facebook, right? Uh, I I don't know. You you tell me. I I am not forty something. Yeah. So I mean, my my memory of MySpace is that it was like an early 
social platform. I, I didn't connect on it at all. I mean, oh. I so I only got a smartphone a year and a half ago. I, I stayed off of Facebook for a pretty long time. So yeah, I, I avoided most of that stuff for a long time. Hmm. I, th- I think it's because I, I, I do have this continued fear that the more digital I let my impressions get, the, the, the more the memory of those really impactful nature experiences is going to fade. And, and, and I don't want to lose that that memory. And, and, and I know myself that my memory can fade pretty quickly, <laughs> right? So it's like I can have this amazing experience of the sunset or the, you know, the trees or the eclipse or, or whatever. But if it sort of gets drowned out by years and years of digital engagement, I, I can totally see myself losing that. So every, every time I go on, I use any technology. I, it's sort of always in the back of my mind. Oh, I know that feeling. But it's also, it's, it's really... It's really fun sometimes to to just walk somewhere one day and like, oh, you know what? I did that. That was amazing. Like, and I forgot about <laughs> it for two years. I haven't thought about it once. And now it's, uh, I remember it's and it's amazing. It was amazing. <laughs> I don't know. Just something like that happened right recently. Oh, what what was it? What was it? That oh, I don't remember now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there you go. There's the memory yeah. for it. <laughs> What else do we have here? Oh, I had a I had a list of topics that I sent you, and then I had a list yeah, of yeah. secret topics that I didn't send you. Okay, sweet secret <laughs> topics. <laughs> oh, I wanted to ask you before the list of secret topics. I want to ask you, since you didn't use too much technology uh, recently, so how did you deal with your kids using technology? Yeah, so that has been a constant stress of mine. <laughs> I think. So one of the, the big decisions my wife and I made um, was to not let our kids have a smartphone until they were in high school, which in the U.S. is about age 14, mm-hmm. which which I was still concerned about at that age. Um, but, so, but did they do uh, fine without, ba- uh, without phone? So, I, so yeah, um, my middle-aged son is a – he's about 16 now, and um, and so he has a smartphone, and then my – my daughter is is younger, and she she just entered high school, and so she has another. Oh, you know, I'm getting my confused. Um, the, the rule was age 15. Oh, okay. <laughs> so she was she so she entered high school a little younger. I th- I thought you were gonna um, say, oh, I, I'm getting confused. My son is 30. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Well, whose son are we yeah. talking about? Um. So yeah. So my daughter is definitely annoyed that she doesn't have a phone yet. <laughs> So, so but on average age, kids get smartphones, at least from what I can tell of their peers, much younger. Oh, yeah. Like age 10, 11, if not earlier. <laughs> and it, it really just concerns me because I feel like when you're young, your brain is still in, in a major period of development. And so the more that you expose your mind to digital technology, the more it's going to be influenced. You know, your, your brain patterns are getting set when you're a kid. And so they... Um, you know they're def- they're definitely not happy that they have to wait, and um, and and once so once my my middle son got his phone he does he does spend quite a bit of time on his phone but you know to his credit he also spends a lot of time doing other things like he's he's great at his studies he's he's not a procrastinator like his mm. dad <laughs> so he he takes care of his work and uh, and he plays sports and um, and he has other uh, musical interests. So I I can see even though he spends a lot of time on his phone he's he's also very balanced in his time but I I I do still really 
question myself as to whether we're doing it right. Like, um, it's it's not uncommon for my wife and I to sit down with our kids and uh, watch some TV show together just just to hang out and relax and for everybody to be on their phones. <laughs> it's like more than half of your attention is on your phone and not on the thing that we're watching. And and I can sometimes be guilty of it too. So I, I, I struggle with asking them not to do it. So I, I yeah, I, I, I uh, it causes me a lot of anxiety about whether I'm doing it right or not. <laughs> well, from what you said, it, feel, it feels like you're doing it right. Because, you know, when you describe your, your son, when I compare it to, I have a brother that, He's, he's 10 and so he started using tablets and smartphones I don't even know but since the age of 6 for sure and yeah. that's way too early I mean because he lives in uh, Ukraine obviously and so if I come home once uh, like a couple of months I've always liked to observe how he changes because little kids you know they yeah. change very fast and so you can see the changes every time you come and so about the age of 6 or 7 maybe each time I went home and we had some sort of dinner, a family dinner, he started being completely on, uh, you know, his uh, head in the screen. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't like that. I always tried to, you know, just kind of uh, separate him from it and just take it away and just kind of talk to him because, I don't know, I think it might might be quite dangerous for, for, for kids to, to sink yeah. into it. I, I kind of feel like it's, you know, I, I always hesitate to jump all the way to a dramatic conclusion yeah, yeah. and say all technology is bad or evil and it but I but I do think it it benefits from from having some restrictions. Like like we, we try as much as possible to have like we have just kind of a family rule, no phones at the dinner table. And uh we, I've even I've thought of this kind of experiment. Uh we haven't tried it yet, but I I, I might try it soon where uh, just having a phone basket where we say, okay, we're all going to watch this stupid TV show. And we're making the intentional choice of putting our phones in this little basket. Everybody put your phones in the basket. Um, because we we value having the experience of doing something together. E- even if it's just watching a stupid TV show, doing it where we're all paying attention to one thing is just more meaningful. Oh, yeah. I, I think that's uh, very important. Of, of a shared experience. Mm-hmm. You know? And... Uh, I don't, it makes me think of your idea of just shutting the laptop down. Like, you know, you have to have some sort of time where you have you have a limit a limit from it. Otherwise, it's gonna it's gonna affect you. Like, my um my wife works in in, in the schools with uh, with very young kids, and um it's like it's not uncommon when I go out to shops and such to see parents give their very young children, like two three years old, a tablet. Because it occupies their attention and it makes them easier to take care of. And yet, you know, when kids get to school age, they they don't know how to interact. Yeah. They haven't had as much direct personal interaction with other humans, right? <laughs> and so so they, they have less patience. And that so that patience needs to be taught because they're used to having everything, you know, immediately available. And uh, Oh, man. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I know, you know, <laughs> I have myself... Struggled. Come on, if uh, adults struggle with patience when when it comes to, you know, when you start uh, having all of the content uh, immediately available, you even if you didn't grow up with uh, technology, I think uh, for example, I actually maybe was like the almost the last generation that was till the age of ten. I didn't have any kind of uh, real interaction with phones and and uh, computers and stuff. So we just 
play it outside, which is which is which is great. Yeah. But but now, still now that uh, I started, of co- obviously using technology, I mean my patience plummeted. <laughs> <laughs> There's no doubt about that. And so if yeah. it does that to adults, can you? I mean, to kids, they don't. Ha- they're not as self-conscious to 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 right. to just close the laptop and have a ten minutes of silence. Exactly. So like as a parent, I feel like that's that's like that's our responsibility <laughs> is to like impose those until you get to the point where you have you know adult willful control and you can shut the laptop yourself you know it's the parents responsibility and yet you know the the pressure that comes to bear on parents is that it's 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 a temptation like it's so easy to take a tablet and give it to a kid and then the kid isn't making a fuss anymore and it's it's even easier when all of your peers all, all the other parents are doing the same thing. It's like, okay, well, it's the socially acceptable thing to do. And then, uh, yeah, it's it, it makes me concerned for the future. Yeah, <laughs> but, you know, also, it's really strange that, you know, we're saying all of that, all of that, but really, I mean, I don't know if maybe it's actually bad not to give your kid, a te- you know, access to technology. I mean, no one really knows because uh, obviously there is a, an argument for it that, if you give someone access to technology from an early age, then, for example, he will develop a better understanding and, like, he would be, like, a, a person that can, you know, reinstall Windows on their own. And and, <laughs> and also, you know, it's it's no doubt that it's actually, it, it does help to communicate with your peers at some point, right? Facebook is right. actually useful. Otherwise, I mean, there would be no point. So no one really knows the answer, I guess. It's true. Yeah, it's it's amazing to think that um, the first iPad came out about I think it was it was eleven years ago, two thousand seven, hmm. and it's been very recently that that smartphones have been everywhere, you know. And yet it's it's so easy to think that this has always been the case. And so, yeah, we, you're right. We we don't have long term studies and and observations about what happens. What kind of broad effect does this does this all have after ten years, after thirty years, yeah. right? And uh, yeah, like it's it's certainly not all negative. So it'll be be interesting to watch watch how it unfolds. You asked me to give you some feedback on two bit gigs. Yeah, yeah. So it's um, we, we sometimes do this. Uh, Tom calls it navel gazing, where we sort of think about how we started and where we've come. And uh, we do get some feedback, um, but not not nearly as much as. Uh, as, as, as we sort of would like. And so all the listeners I've ever spoken to directly have either been my friends or uh-huh. family. <laughs> so, so to get firsthand feedback from, from someone who's listened to it quite a bit is, is awesome. So, yeah. Well, well, I said that. I don't actually know uh, where to start. Maybe, uh, maybe you have uh, like a question. Yeah. So like, do, do we, do we sound like amateur, <laughs> like we feel like amateurs? Even after a year and a half, do we sound like amateurs, or, or when you compare it to other podcasts you listen to, like, oh yeah, you know, it's a fairly similar. No, you don't. You delivery totally don't production sound value. like amateurs. I feel like it's like a two dudes talking genre, as we said, and you don't need much, much editing or much, I don't know, special effects or skill, uh, as compared to if you listen to, for example, Radio Lab or Ninety Nine Percent Invisible. I don't know if you know the shows, but they're they're like really produced. They have. Uh, multiple okay. people interviews and they it's all like intertwined in this nice way right but you know to do talking podcast it doesn't 
need all of those things and so I, I think as long as you have good enough audio equipment and and you edit this podcast which you do I know yeah and also as far as uh, you talking I mean I th- I think it works it works for me so I don't think you sound like amateurs <laughs> well that's good to hear yeah I I do credit like you said the, the editing mostly it's it's always it's always amazing to me and so we're we're scheduled to record episode 30 tomorrow morning and uh even, even after 30 episodes at the end of every record, I'm like, uh, that was okay, I guess. Man, there were a lot of things that didn't really work. I don't know. And there's always this kind of thing of we want it to sound interesting, and yet intentionally trying to sound interesting often inhibits something being naturally <laughs> interesting. Oh, yeah. And so and so then, like a week later, Tom will email me the rough cut of the, of the episode, and I'm always amazed at how good it sounds. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's really I think mostly due to his his editing capacity of being able to you know chunk out the really long stretches that don't work and then to be able to to shore it up. So uh, oh yeah, I mean yeah, I, I, you said that you're recording for two hours and and uh, yeah, I mean some of the episodes are like fifty minutes, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's our that's our t- about an hour give or take is is the uh, is the, that is um, amazing to me is the average because uh, because here we are also recorded for about two hours and. They're mostly about maybe one and a half hour. So he does really do his job well. Yeah, yeah, he does. And I don't know if it's if I'm remembering it correctly, but I think I think Tom told me this that Hello Internet that Brady and Gray try and record for four oh, hours. I can't imagine that. Which to I me mean, is just insane. I haven't heard that, but if that's true, I don't know. I mean, yeah. Then I guess I understand it because it's a lot of work. If imagine if you have four hours editing that four hours doesn't take four hours it takes uh, multiples like eight or 12 hours or oh yeah plus like even even when things are going really well uh in our conversation after about an hour and a half i feel like we're just kind of coasting <laughs> it, it it takes it takes a decent amount of mental energy to sort of keep things moving at a, at a decent clip and so uh yeah i just can't and a- after we record for the rest of the day my mind is just kind of like <laughs> <laughs> why that must help you at your job <laughs> uh, yeah right wait so you mean yeah. ooh, like like you don't know what to say or you it, it's kind of like a, well it's, it's sort of a nice experience of um it's it's like my mind is like a sponge and it's been completely squeezed uh-huh. out right and so uh, the the amount of distracting thoughts and um impulses to want to speak and think is is significantly reduced for a time <laughs> so it's a nice um it's, it's a nice break from the usual chatter of my mind i suppose <laughs> um do you feel like the podcast has has gotten better or that we've changed over time i i, I tried to recently go back and listen to a few of our earlier episodes and compare it to the to the current ones and um because we still have like a really open-ended intentionally kind of wide topic uh, focus. Yeah, the, so the frivolous, I, yeah. I don't know if you, if you feel like it's changed. Uh, the, the frivolous part of your uh, description. <laughs> you, so you think it's gotten more or less frivolous? Uh, oh, well, to be honest, I don't think I I remember the, all that well how 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 it started, but but yeah. I do know that I only recently learned what frivolous means. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> like uh, a podcast about the interesting, the useful, and the frivolous. I was going like always. Yeah, okay, like the frivolous something, you know, so it actually <laughs> wasn't too far from that. 
Yeah, right. Well, that's cool. Are, are there any topics that we haven't hit on that like you would be interested in? Uh, I, you know, I've, you've gone through all this trouble to like um, invite me to do this uh, Two Tim's Talking podcast. I feel like the least I can do is like hit on some topics that you might want to hear. <laughs> hmm. We could do we could do an all Ukrainian episode. <laughs> I don't think you could do that. <laughs> uh, read the Wikipedia article aloud. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, no. Oh, I mean, I don't think I can make a all Ukrainian episode of <laughs> of two teams talking. <laughs> no, actually. Right. I mean, you know, I used to follow uh, more more closely the situation on in Ukraine and uh, just the news, but. I don't know, it stopped changing after about a year of this war and and then I just kind of check once a month. St- still fighting? Yeah. yeah, still fighting. Yeah, all right. <laughs> I mean it's <laughs> I mean it's not good, but you know, it's the same. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, that's another topic I struggle with, which is how much serious news is good for me to consume. Cuz on the one hand, I don't want to just stick my head on the ground and not pay attention to problems in the world around me or problems in the U.S. or other issues. On the other hand, after a certain amount of time, it gets so intense and it has such an effect mm-hmm. on me that it doesn't feel like, even though I'm paying attention to important things that need to have important problems that should be solved, I don't feel like I'm really benefiting from it personally and I don't feel like I'm benefiting the problem. And so I... I, st- I struggle with how much how much news is is good to con- consume uh, yeah um, I, I I go through some stretches where I don't pay attention to it at all and then I go through stretches where I'm reading everything and so uh, yeah and age-old argument of uh, hello internet <laughs> you know you yeah. know what the strangest thing of doing podcast with you is that I can interrupt <laughs> it's just <laughs> <laughs> Because yeah, right. I've used, I've so used to listen to you talk, and it feels to me that it's like it's predetermined, like it's recorded, and it's like something is gonna happen, and right. and, and it's not because it's still recording. It's, it's, <laughs> that's strange. It's like it's like you're playing a video game versus watching somebody play. A oh video yeah, game. you, you tol- <laughs> I totally think like oh you know I'm just listening here. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Maybe we can. Maybe we, that's the next evolution of podcast. You know, live podcasting, where people interrupt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, interruptions are welcome. Yeah, yeah I don't think that's yeah, ever going to happen. Because <laughs> you know, some podcasts do record live. I mean, some episodes they like go out and uh, sit on stage and record the podcast. Yeah, I always tease Tom that we should do a live episode, and he's one hundred thousand percent against it. <laughs> I, I would be against it too, and not even because. I don't want to be in public or stuff, but just, I don't know, I feel like it's not the same. Yeah. Well, certainly with, with our podcast, editing is such a heavy aspect of it that oh, yeah. that the live version would be, I think it would probably be half as interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If I had more time, it would be ha- twice as, twice as, oh, I fucked up the sentence. I will cut it out. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the beauty of editing. Oh. You can go and cut, cut that oh, out. Oh, yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> and any other topics on your secret topic list? Uh, I don't know. There's a big topic, but I don't want to start it now. I had a yeah. I had I had a basically a paper cut about clubs, 
just like nightclubs. Nightclubs. Oh, I, I don't like this. <laughs> I, I'm just not <laughs> not a fan of those. And and yeah. And my paper cup was gonna be that. Uh, it feels like when I'm there, it feels like maybe two thirds of people don't like it there either. That they're there. It's just sort of like the place to be, and where else are you gonna be? <laughs> yeah, because it's. I've always thought that there's gonna be there's gotta be like a alternative to that. I mean, because uh, at least in Poland right now, it's nightclub is a sort of mainstream place that you would go to in the evening or at night. Right. And so, so like a a place to meet people. Yeah, yeah. And so I've always thought that like, oh, it wouldn't be great if there was a mainstream place that you could go. That when you come out of it, you don't have like a partial loss of hearing, <laughs> <laughs> like a raging headache. Yeah. <laughs> is, uh, is are coffee shops a, a thing in Poland? It seems like maybe a slightly lower key deal. Uh, what do you mean? I mean, they exist. Yeah. Yeah, but just in terms of being able to go and hang out and meet different people, and not not so much of a social experience. No, I don't think it's. Just, I don't think you go there to meet people here. In Poland, at least, you just go with someone. If you have someone already, you just go there to to hang out, but not right, not exactly yeah. to meet new people. Yeah, yeah. I I I never, I never did the nightclub scene as as a as a young lad. Um, I I did dance quite a bit to live music. So like speaking of the um trying to recreate good feelings and what what sort of experiences made me feel all connected and such. I use I don't know if you know the band Fish. Mm, no. No, okay. They're a kind of a um, improvisational rock music uh, band uh, that were pretty famous in my oh, neck of the woods. That sounds interesting. Okay. And uh, so, so I used to go there and um, to to the their concerts and and dance. And I found dancing to live music at a concert venue very a very liberating feeling. Um, but uh, but not so much the club scene. Yeah, I, I I don't I don't like experiences where I can't hear other people speak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, agreed. But. I mean, I guess uh, when you go to concerts, that's that's about the circumstances you're at. Yeah, yeah. So I guess that was more of an individual experience. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, yeah, like if even going out to um, when I was much younger, going to like a, a bar and then trying to talk to somebody when the music was very loud just seemed kind of productive to <laughs> having a conversation. Exactly. You go, you meet people and you go to the place where you can't talk. It, <laughs> right. it is so amazing. It's, e- it's either sign language or <laughs> yeah. I mean, also, it, especially if you go, for example, here I'm in Poland, so I don't, you know, because Polish is still a foreign language to me. I learned it enough that I can speak with people freely, like if I would be on a podcast, right? But when right. you're in a place that is very, very loud and half the words you don't hear, so you have to guess them, and. <laughs> right. and, and and for me, a normal conversation works so that I don't understand some words and guess them. Yeah. And so when you also don't hear half of the words, that's, you know, you're basically just sign language communicating. <laughs> right. Right. Yes. Yeah, I would imagine having an in-depth conversation at that point <laughs> would be fairly impossible. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. It's it, it came to a point that I actually, maybe one of the things I like most about Going to clubs is when you go out for smoke and just talk to people. Yeah, right. <laughs> Except that I hate uh, smoke and I don't smoke, but <laughs> it's still better. 
<laughs> so years from now, when you're dying of lung cancer, and you're like, why did I start smoking? Oh, yeah, it was to get out of the club. <laughs> oh, man, I hope that's not true. <laughs> I, I, let, let us not wish that upon you.